Hello and welcome to Autoholics Anonymous by the Autoholic. I'm Stephen. And I'm Ryan. And thank you guys for joining again another week. And uh, Ryan, you know, we've kind of been delayed a little bit. I think we we missed an episode last week. We must have been up to a lot of good stuff. What were you up to? I've been a busy man. You know, I uh, bought a bike. I put my boat in the water. And, uh, you know, I've been driving my Porsche as much as I possibly can. That could keep you busy. I forgot about the bike thing. You bought the wrong size bike. Maybe. It's too <laughs> to be determined. I rode it tonight and it's on the verge. I got to tune in the fit a little bit. It's got to fit like a, a shoe, right? Something like that. But <laughs> I, 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 you know, I've always been an extra large bike guy. So if I go down to a large now, my wife might think less of me. <laughs> You're getting old, so you might be shrinking already. That's what she told me. <laughs> Well, you bought a green bike, it looks like, right? I'm noticing a trend with uh, with you. I could be all green all the time. <laughs> green is a great color. Green is good, as you said. Green is good, indeed. Well, speaking of green, you took your green, Aventurine green, Cayman, to uh, its first Cars and Coffee this past weekend. Right? How was that? I had an absolute blast. I gave my... Porsche, it's first wash. I told Karen that I'd get up in the morning and it would take me 25 minutes <laughs> to wash the car, which was which was a complete and utter lie. I think I spent about an hour on it. The, so, most, the most tedious part was, were the wheels. Those spokes are actually very time consuming to clean. Yeah, um, it's always good to, to undersell the time it takes to wash a car. I think uh, it allows you and the, the wife to give you permission to, to actually do the job. But soon enough, they'll catch on. Right, right. <laughs> well, and I, and I always have to, like, you know, subtract how much time things are going to take me so that she's ready at the appropriate time. It's, there's some mathematics involved there. Right. <laughs> I was off this time, though. <laughs> well, where was this cars and coffee or whatnot and, and you know, what other cars were kind of there? So it's a cool little event they do, I think, once a month. Um, the south of Boston get together uh, for the PCA uh, NER. Um, I'm a new member to it, and this is my first time at the event with a Porsche. I did uh, swing by uh, last month's event. Uh, somebody had recommended me to go check it out, and I popped in and, you know, talked to somebody who showed up in a came in GTS 4.0 and told him mine's coming in. I can't wait. You know, I'm going to be here next month. And he let me sit in his car back then, which was re really exciting. Um, and I went this time and uh, people were, you know, really friendly. Everyone loved adventuring green. A lot of people were talking to me about the car. Worked out really well that I happened to pull up next to a, you know, a G-Body uh, or maybe a little, no, it's a G-Body 911 and, sort of this gorgeous um, kind of a, a pastel green, mm. you know, sort of modded with 1552 wheels, uh, lowered, really cool. And so it was neat to see the old 911 versus the new Cayman and the two different greens. We were really the only green cars at the event, shockingly mm. enough. But uh, a 356 parked next to me, and uh, it was cool. There were a bunch of other GTS 4.0s, though. Oh, Most really? I've seen, yeah. Wow, so you're uh, you got quite a population up there. That's where all the allocations went. All the allocations went up north. Well, I mean, you know, mine's from Brooklyn, but 
hopefully the rest of them didn't have to venture so far to get theirs. No, I think they just deal with the local dealers and nobody really talks about how much they pay over sticker. (laughs) (laughs) That's the hidden secret of it all. That's the secret. Well, glad you had a good time. It looked like you made friends with the right people because you got a post on Instagram about uh, welcoming you to uh, the Porsche Club, huh? Yeah, that was super cool. The the folks, uh, I guess, there there was some eighty year old couple who was running the NER. That's uh, cute. And yeah, and these two just took over the reins from them, and uh, they were very nice and came over and talked to us. And the gentleman who who's running it now has a agate gray Boxster Spider, mm. really attractive car, um, seven eighteen, you know. And so we we talked a little bit about our cars and you know. A few little mods. They everyone's talking to me about these little mods that that they like to do. I'm not sure I'm on. I'm bitten by the mod bug yet. <laughs> but uh, I did. I did learn one thing at this uh, PCA event, which was that on these cars you can do a PPF for the whole rocker panel and up to where the air intake is. Mm. And I noticed that I'm starting to get little. Oh little yeah. Dings Shit. on mine. Yes. Yeah. So I think I'm gonna go find somebody to buff it out and put that piece of ppf on because i didn't get that spot ppf'd and i think it's a vulnerable spot of the car very if maybe not you know the most the second most i'd say besides the front fascia correct uh, um you know i don't know if it's too late like you know if you already get a few dings and things there nothing i have is substantial right they could just like buff out and then they could put something over the top so it prevents it from anything future bad you know yeah, no, I would highly recommend that, and maybe even anything kind of behind the the wheels or tires as well. In the, I don't know if your rear bumper is covered at all. I was thinking that, but it's actually interesting. It cuts away a lot. Okay. Um, and so I'm sure it's going to get a little bit just right there. Mm. It's almost um, less of a concern than this area. This is like a big, expansive area, and that's just this little tiny spot so maybe they could put a little sticker there or something okay Hmm. nice sounds like uh you know you gotta take care of your new pts color now yeah right now that i'm in the pts club but (laughs) i I don't know if you saw uh lady gt3's post about you know pts or or not real pts on the uh the neo versus uh pts ruby star yeah I, I must have a similar thing here going with the Aventurine Green. <laughs> I don't know if it'll change uh, that much if you know when it becomes PTS. It probably will look, I assume, the same. It's an interesting question. I don't know, to tell you the truth. Yeah. We'll, well, we'll see how people react to, to you and your car in the future. Um, maybe you'll be put up on a pedestal for having PTS without actually paying for it. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, they did. People mentioned it at the event this time, though. Interestingly enough, so okay. boy, a big. You got a great deal right before PTS. They're in the know. Yeah, they're in the know. This is the crew, right? That's right. Are you an official PCA member now? Yeah, I signed up. Um, I meant to. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, when you come up here and we do our Porsche um episode i'll show you some of the marketing material they sent me mm. their their color palette and the way they designed some of these flyers that they send you is really impressed they integrated all in in with like porsche design and 
sort mm. of getting you to buy Porsche design products. And I was really impressed with what they're doing and how they sort of get you in as a member. Yeah, no, everything is so well curated with them, with Porsche in general. And even coming down to the, you know, the Porsche Owners Club, the unofficial kind of, you know, club, uh, national club. So that means uh, you're also probably going to become a member, a subscriber of Panorama Magazine. Yes, it's coming. Uh, it's coming soon. I'm actually really excited. It's another one of these magazines that we have to talk about. I've right. sort of been anxiously anticipating it. I would say that's that is another good monthly car magazine that uh, we'll talk about. I think in the future, they do 150 pages. It's a big book. It is a big book. It's a lot of content in there. So you kind of skim through a little bit, but a lot of good photography in there, interesting articles, interviews. They really pick up on some interesting people across the country doing cool stuff with their Porsches. And they do a good job highlighting that and making everyone feel like a, a part of something larger. I dig it. Looking forward to see some more. Yeah. What have you been up to since we talked last? Have you had any Porsche adventures yourself? No Porsche adventures. Fortunately, uh, unfortunately, my brother has been having the Porsche adventures as uh, my car is the only working car uh, that he currently has, especially one with AC, as it's been uh, a sweltering, steady 90, humid 90 degrees here in the Northeast. It's it has been brutal, but I've been uh, fortunate to have his air-conditioned Lexus. I haven't needed it much, but I did drive around Brooklyn for a while uh, yesterday running some errands. And uh, I must say it was actually a joy to drive around. Uh, went down the BQE 278 to south southern part of Brooklyn. Brought it for a bit to uh, Brighton Beach just to... to see the sights as I've never been there. And I hear it's one of New York's nicest beaches. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and drove around and, you know, it did well. I only had one person possibly almost back into me um, <laughs> near Brighton Beach and I was laying on the horn and they weren't stopping. So, but if, fortunately they, they stopped at the last minute. How was Brighton Beach, by the way, after all, did you like it? Yeah, it was very nice. I would love to to go back down there. I, I was I was there around sunset, so it was pretty calm and and you know gorgeous. The colors in the sky. Um, there's a nice boardwalk there that you can see kind of Coney Island down at the end. Um, it's all the same boardwalk, so it'd be nice. I've been to Coney Island, but many years ago, and uh, it would be nice to to walk the whole length and everything. But uh, feels uh, you know similar maybe uh, to, and I hope I don't get. Uh, a lot of criticism for this, but it feels like a New Jersey beach in a way, you know. Oh, like the Jersey Shore. Yeah, like, you know, uh, like Asbury or... Seaside. Or, um, yeah, ones around there, or Brad Bradley Beach I've been to as well in New Jersey. So they got a nice boardwalk there and, uh, you know, activities and things to do. So, uh, yeah, it would be nice to go down there and, and hang out for a day. I've never actually been hung out at the beach in New York here. Cool. Yeah, I've, I haven't done much New York Beach hanging either. You know, we would always scoot down to my grandparents' place in New Jersey. But I went recently to um, Rockaway Beach, I think mm -hmm. I was telling you about. And they had an amazing boardwalk. And, and there's all this, like, low-income housing that's on, like, right past the boardwalk. Mm. But it it's almost, like, amazing to look at because there are these blocks and blocks. And it looks 
you almost feel that you're in the matrix with this big beach and, and the, the massive, you know, expanse of these buildings is kind of interesting. Right. It's like two very diverse worlds colliding or just like next to each other and doesn't seem to make sense. Yes. And because of the beach, it almost makes the, the buildings look infinite, that they go on and on and on. Dramatic. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, one thing I'm noticing, too, with these beaches up uh, up our way here is that, you know, if I'm being honest, a lot of the area right around the beach or just outside the beach, it's not the nicest. Right. Like, you know, the, the area right outside of Brighton Beach is not very charming. It's actually people complain about how dirty New York is. And, uh, you know, this area was arguably dirtier than a lot of Manhattan, even, um, which is stunning because it's just folk who mostly live there, you know, and and people who come down for the beach. But, you know, they're not coming they're, they're They most likely live in New York. Right. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see how the people treat you know, their own area. Um, so that was a bit, you know, shocking to see. But um, once you get onto the boardwalk, it, it's it's a bit nicer. And uh, and yeah, would love to go there and, and hang out for the day and soak up the sun. But the Lexus was great um, to go down there. Um, I actually got some tacos and uh, I, I from a taco truck and I, I saw in the area there was a park nearby. So I thought, oh, that'd be lovely to just sit in a park and, and eat on a bench or something. I walked down to the park and the the park is completely gutted for renovation. It's basically all dirt. And so I walked tacos are best to eat right away. You got to you got to eat them fresh, you got to eat them hot. Get them while they're hot. Right. Steam inside the tin foil, yeah. get all the tortilla, you know, get soggy, you know, all the oils and the grease they it falls apart. Um so I was upset cuz I walked 10 minutes to this park and I was maybe about 15 20 minute walk away from where I parked my car. And I had this thought before walking to the park that maybe I should just go eat on the tailgate of the Lexus because I can. And like, that's what it's there for. So uh, that's eventually that's that's what I ended up doing. Um, I just ate on the tailgate. I was parked on a side street and I just, yeah, ate right off the back of my car. You found a great place to park. I did actually. And enjoyed, enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the parked experience. Yeah, I got tacos. I found a great parking place, you might say. Um, and uh, I got the golden spot per the Seinfeld uh, rules. I parked right up in front of uh, my destination. So everything worked out. And I ended up driving up back up to North Brooklyn via the, the Belt Parkway, which I recall ta- talking to your cousin about, which he's never taken because every time he wants, he needs to use it, it's a parking lot. And it's just full of traffic, which I totally understand. But uh, it, it's worth going at the off-peak hours because it's a, a gorgeous ride right along the uh, the water there. Uh, of Brooklyn. He's never taken the Belt Parkway. It's fantastic. That's the best way to go to JFK. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful uh, drive, actually. Beautiful. I don't know if you've ever ridden your bike all the way down there, but there's a nice bike path that just, like, hugs along the water. It goes under the Verrazano and everything. Oh, we should definitely do that sometime. I would be I'd be into it. Yeah, bring your bike that's too too large for you, and uh, <laughs> we'll yeah, go for I'm, a ride. I'm definitely in. We can actually ride out to Rockaway Beach there, too, which would be cool. Yeah, that'd be very nice. When are you going to get a, a bike rack for your Porsche? I actually would love to stick my, road bi- my green road bike on the Porsche. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I might have to just get a roof rack to do it. You have to get a roof rack. 
you have the windshield wiper on the back. You got to complete the whole uh, the whole thing. All right, you got me. I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect, sold. Um, but yeah, no, I had a, I had a great time, and uh, the Lexus is good. One thing I wanted to mention previously when I was talking about driving the Lexus is that um, the stocks on the steering column are in just the right place where you barely have to move your hand off the steering wheel and everything is exactly where you expect it to be. It's so seamless, very effortless. Plot Alexis, um, you know, for for that. Um, it really elevates the experience. It makes a huge, excuse me, it makes a huge difference having nicely located blinkers and nicely uh, actuated blinkers. Yeah. Alexis are on a lot of older Japanese cars. I find them to be a little like um, flimsy. Yes. Are they flimsy on the Lexus? I wouldn't say they're flimsy. They're definitely plasticky, but it's a sturdy plastic, but it has a nice click to it. Okay. The good click is is everything. Oh, it's important. It's very satisfying, I would say. Well, uh, you know, talking about blinkers, I, I wasn't going to go into this immediately, but I have to talk about it right now because it's uh, so on, on topic, which is uh, the Polestar 2 that I rented yesterday. It doesn't have blinkers or the uh, the blinker actuation is not very nice? It has the best blinkers I've ever used in any vehicle. Wow. It's, they, they so just taking a step back, mm. I think, you know, everybody's heard a little bit about Polestar. They're, you know, um, part owned by Volvo, part owned by Geely. They're sort of their own entity, but they are very unapologetically Swedish. <laughs> and, you know, the design is so utilitarian, so basic. The key is just this black plastic box with only a little Polestar thing at the bottom corner of it. Um, you get in the car, it's very dark, all with like interesting um, textiles, no leather, just all, all textiles, you know, the seats, even the plastics they use, everything feels really substantial and interesting. But nothing was more surprising than when I started using the blinkers and I was listening in and and I'm like, what? what's that noise? They must have genuinely taken a recording of someone snapping their fingers. And they used that sound for the blinker noise. It's so much more pleasant and so elegant versus any other blinker noise that I've ever heard. It's incredible. So it's like someone snapping. That's exactly the blinker noise. Huh. And, it, and it's got like a nice echo through the cabin. So it's not jarring. It's almost like you're sitting down to listen to some jazz music <laughs> someone's snapping to the rhythm honestly it was it was so cool and and i think that was really telling to what a lot of the experience with the car was like they really thought about simple details like this that you know wouldn't usually occur to you i mean the for the stereo you can't see any speakers in the car they sort of hid them inside the interesting technical fabric that they had all around and um you know, the roof is made out of an interesting cloth versus just typical headliner material. Um, I'm just trying to think about what the fabric was on the seats. At first glance, it looked sort of dull and flat, but as I looked closer, they even had sort of crosshatch stitching in the fabric on the seat. So it was all very understated and very Swedish. Swedish. Yeah. yeah. But the more that I sat in it and the more that I remarked on the specific details and what they meant to your overall experience of peacefulness inside the vehicle, the more I appreciated it. 
Yeah, I imagine it was the their sustainable fabrics, you know, that's like no leather, everything is kind of eco-friendly in a way. Um, so it sounds like a, a very like neo new age, new generation of kind of their old cloth seats and, and things like that. It was so the original ethos of mm. Volvo, just a new age version of it. That's yeah, exactly really, right. Really cool to see and, and to hear and honestly what I would hope and expect from from things like that. Um, and, you know, your point about the emphasis on the experience or sounds of, of the blinker and everything, you notice it way more when the car isn't making noise kind of a thing. It's it's a more poignant sound um, and part of the experience because it can't be overshadowed by engine noise and anything like that. Right. And and rather than just ignore that, they sort of took all of that into account in their design of the vehicle. Hmm. It had uh, also great actuation of the blinker switch. Yeah. I forgot to mention that. It was really excellent. No, you mentioned that. That's how you started this conversation. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what else about the car did you like? Like, was the driving experience good? Um, did you have to charge it at all? So I think you may remember last time I was in Houston, I rented another electric vehicle. That's right. It was that Genesis, right? Right, which I, to put it nicely, I wasn't such a big fan of. It was the GV80? The G80 Electrified. And uh, it, I really was not a fan at all of that vehicle. And, and it was one of those cars where you get in and you just can't really get comfortable. Mm. And I got into this Volvo and was instantly comfortable. It was just one, you know, you just felt one with the car. And um, I really enjoyed their uh, built-in um, uh, software. So all the tech is is almost like using your phone. You can sort of swipe on the screen. It has Google Maps, Waze. Spotify all built in natively. It's an Android auto system. Um, your navigation of Google Maps displays on a whole digital cluster in front of you as you're driving. Really, really easy. They have a great volume knob. Although everything is touchscreen, they have a volume knob and a play pause button. Yeah, good to have you know, the key elements to be physical touch still. They put a little bit of thought into it, unlike Volkswagen. <laughs> Another interesting feature of this Polestar was that the mirrors are frameless. Oh, but I think even just regular Volvos have that too, no? I've never seen it before. You could be right. On the XC60 that I rented, it wasn't like this. Hmm. But the exterior mirrors, there's no ring around the outside. The mirror goes right to the end. And I heard on a Topher video that actually Polestar has a patent on it. Oh, really? Yeah, which would be very a very interesting thing to patent. And it was... Weird because you know then the the whole mirror itself moves when you adjust rather than just mm. the glass because it's right one the front of it yeah yeah it makes a huge difference it, it feels like HD vision doesn't it 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 was almost weird to get used to because you had so much visibility I was I was thinking that I was seeing too much and maybe I was missing a blind spot right mm. so I was second guessing myself but once I got used to it it was, it was very very effective and they had really nicely built in a little ring of yellow around the outside for your blind spot warnings but wow, just sort of neatly integrated as as they do and how is the visibility out of the back it's technically a hatchback right it's a lift back okay. it's sort of like the saab five, uh, 900 five door with the, the mm. lift back rather than the hatch 
And that's a little bit compromised. I'd say that's the only part of it that, you know, had any compromise. And, and to that end, the headroom in the back was a little compromised for someone my height. But, uh, you know, driving as well, I had this slow one, the single motor, long range, front wheel drive. It drove so, so well, just so smooth, so effortless. And I, I was driving in traffic in Houston, so I didn't really have any chance to test out the handling. But when I got back to the airport, I had sort of the, the frontage road to myself and there are a few corners to get into where the rental car is and i sort of tossed it into the corner and was totally shocked by the response of the car it was really dynamic in a way that i didn't expect and you know way more interesting and way more control than anything in this segment mm. and after doing a little bit of research i see that actually the polestar 2 is really applauded for the the handling dynamics the, this guy misha sharudian on um, on YouTube, to, uh, does a bunch of videos of his racing around the Nurburgring and beating some supercars, which is which is neat to see. That's cool to see on track. I just quickly looked up how much the Polestar Two is, and I see used ones for like forty thousand dollars. Honestly, uh, upon quick glance, not sure how much a new one is. I'm assuming somewhere between fifty and sixty-five, depending on how it's uh, how it's specced. Yeah, they start at like 46.5, I think, is the base price for the single motor, um, which only has 230 horsepower. So it's not fast, but it's plenty of power. And the dual motor, which has 400, I think, is is up in the like almost 60 grand. But I definitely get the base one. I mean, you know, with the tax credit, you're talking a car under $40,000 out the door. This is, you know... Some people spoke about this online already. I'm late to the Polestar 2 party, but this walks circles around the Tesla Model 3 for me. Yeah, I was going to say for maybe not much more than a Model 3, what, like 5 to 10K more. Um, sounds like a much more premium experience. Um, I guess the only thing would be uh, the advantage with the Tesla's, the supercharger network. Not sure how, uh, which ports uh, Volvo uses and uh, which ones you can connect to. That is the biggest issue. I think everything's coming to a head on that now. You know, Tesla's offering some chargeability solutions for other cars, but you know, I think this is a great option if you have charging at home yeah. and you get into a city. Mm -hmm. A great car for you. Did you see many other electric cars in Houston? That doesn't strike me as a place that would be very electric car friendly. It's a great question. I did at the airport but I don't think I noticed any other electric cars while I was driving around. Mm -hmm. All the rental fleets in the U.S. now, though, are going to a, a large percentage of electric vehicles. So I think the two biggest cars I've seen, especially with Hertz, are the, the Tesla Model 3 and the Polestar 2. Mm -hmm. And this was a Hertz rental? Hertz rental, yeah. Very nice. Well, if any... You know, listeners want to rent a Polestar too. Go to Hertz. You're going to have to drive some electric cars one of these days, Stephen. I do. We were talking, and you asked me how many electric cars have I driven, and the answer is only one, and the only one I've driven is the Taycan Turbo S, which I called the daddy of all the electric cars. It certainly is. That must be an experience sort of on a different end of the spectrum. It is on quite the pedestal, I would say. Um, so, and probably a, a bad way to be introduced to the electric car market because everything I'm going to compare to that, but it's twice the price of, of 
if not three times the price of um, everything else. But I would be interested to drive a, a base Taycan to see how that compares um, to to the Turbo S, if it's much of a difference. My challenge with the Porsche electric vehicles, I think that I'd prefer them. I prefer a Porsche with a gas engine. They have interesting and nice engines. Whereas with this Volvo, this Polestar, I thought to myself, no wonder Volvo is not going to have ICE cars in the future. This is better than any of their gas engines. They haven't had anything interesting in a while. And this is smoother, silent, just generally better. I mean, it, it works for a Volvo. It's, it's right. understated, I, right? But for a Porsche, I don't know. I do see a lot of the um, electric versions of their XC40, though. And this I wonder how that is. What platform is that, actually? OK, so it must be halfway decent. Yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, they're doing good stuff. So hopefully they continue and uh, hopefully I can get a chance to, to rent one at some point. It'll be interesting to see how Polestar grows. You know, uh, they're kind of a startup within a big established OEM. So it'll be neat to see if they sort of break away and do their own sort of presence around the US or if they're really going to work off that existing Volvo dealer basis. Well, what's nice about them is you don't have to deal with like transmissions and everything. That's the elegant part of, of having an electric car, unlike the car I was in today, which I believe had a CVT, which is awful. And, you know, you know, I constantly claim these these cars are these transmissions are awful or think that every car that has a bad transmission must be a CVT. But I was in a Mazda MX-5 today on my way up uh, to upstate kind of New York for a company visit, but... Uh, CX-5. What did I say? MX-5? MX-5 Miata, yes. I was being hopeful. No, there <laughs> there's four of us packed fully in this CX-5. Um, and overall, I mean, I think the car is is great. It's a, it's good for what it is. I, I like Mazdas in general. I think they do a good job. The only thing was this transmission um, was a bit... Uh, you know, clunky. It's just not smooth. It's not elegant. Um, and it's noisy as hell. That's the issue for me with CVTs. They are noisy as hell. So, yeah, but you've had a good experience with a with an, uh, a CX-5. Right? In Europe, you can get them with a diesel and a stick. It's a, a total hoot. I had it in Germany and I bopped around some little roads. I loved it. But that's a lot nicer than having the CVT. Yeah, that sounds like the combo to have. Too bad we won't ever get that here in the U.S. <laughs> that's gone. That's that's a time that has passed. You uh, you mentioned you were uh, even looking for one for Mexico when you go down there, but you couldn't find one for there either. In Mexico, only the automatics with the gas engine are offered. No diesels, no sticks. I thought about trying to import one. I liked it that much. Diesels are not so popular in Mexico, right? No, I think uh, you may remember though we actually had a diesel taxi, an Uber, a diesel um, a, a Vento. From where to where? Where did we go? In San Pedro, we we took an Uber one night, you and me. Is this the from my first visit? Yes. Okay. Probably had a, a few tequilas. <laughs> I think that's what it was about. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it was a nice drive. Otherwise, um, my coworker drive drove, even though I did have the Lexus here and could fit four people comfortably. Uh, I was wondering why you didn't take the Lexus. 
Yeah, I think the big thing is that he gets like 40 miles to the gallon and I get 10 miles to the gallon. <laughs> well, you were just going to charge it on the company? Uh, the company was paying for it. So uh, that would have been a nice uh, coverage of, of my recent adventures in the car um, to get a nice free 60 well, plus dollars. Yeah. Um, but I, it, it just also is uh, not as comfortable in a way as as the modern creature comforts of of that car the cx5 you know the front seats had air conditioned seats and everything and uh less creaks and rattles and and, and everything and uh i'm on big knobby tires as well so a little bit more road noise but we would have all had a little bit more space um to enjoy ourselves the other thing is if i had drove i would have been in the proper lane as i was driving uh, my coworker uh is a car guy as well um and uh he's a great guy and uh i love talking cars with him it helps me get through the days um not that the days are hard i I do something i i am passionate about but you know when things are slow it's nice to chat you know talk about different things and uh this was my first time riding with him on a long distance and uh I was surprised to find out he's a, a left lane driver. The, we were on the Taconic going up mid-afternoon on a Wednesday. There's no one on the road. He's just sitting in the left lane. And I understand it's not busy, but there were times where cars came up and, and a handful of times had to pass on the right. But he did you know, move over to the right in, in many other circumstances when that occurred. Um, and I held my tongue for as long as I could. I was not going to criticize, you know, uh, I was appreciative of him driving the three hours up and, and down and everything. And I offered to drive or split the drive on the way down. Um, but he drove the whole way. And, and on the way down, I just couldn't hold my tongue back any longer. And uh, I, I mentioned uh, to him, I was like, what do you have against the right lane? <laughs> like, I know it's not busy, but why don't you like the right lane? And uh we had this whole conversation about he's from Brooklyn, grew up in Brooklyn, and apparently in, in Manhattan or just in New York City in general, it's really hard to get your driver's license and they fail you over very minor stuff. So he went to Staten Island to get his driver's license and apparently it's much easier there. Um, so I was making a joke that it, he didn't learn the proper etiquette of, of, you know, driving in the right lane and only using the left lane for passing because he got his driver's license in Staten Island. You really dug into him after a while. <laughs> I had a lot of ammunition to go against him, so I used it. <laughs> and I think you mentioned to me that you had some European colleagues in the car. How did they feel about this very American left lane driving? Yeah, I work for an Austrian company, and uh, two of my coworkers are, are kind of grew up or from Austria, and uh, they're very much in my favor about the the rules of the road and uh, backed me up very adamantly, uh, and I was happy with that. So it was three against one in this Mazda CX-5. You were lucky that you were in company of Europeans for this conversation. I was, yeah. He was a pretty hard-headed American uh, point of view about what makes sense to him uh, he tried to to rationalize his ideas of of staying in the left lane um but uh you know I, they really they don't make sense to me i will admit these days i stay in the left lane more than i ever have but i'm the fastest person on the road 
98% of the time. And when I'm not, I do my best to get over. But I will admit that I've been a little bit lazy about that because I'm so used to being the fastest person. So I, I do need to remember the rules of the road and be more mindful of that. Yeah, I think, I think there's a time and a place for staying in the left lane a little bit. If it's medium traffic and generally you're, you, you intend on passing people, you're okay with going over the speed limit, moving along, that's, that's totally fine. I, I use an example. The Taconic is basically like the Merritt Parkway for New York. And often on the Merritt going through Connecticut, you get a lot of traffic and a lot of quick ramps um, onto the Merritt. So not a lot of you know, uh, space for people to accelerate. They come up pretty frequently. So it's a lot of people sit in the left lane to give people space in the right lane to merge onto the highway. And, and that makes sense, but it also creates a little bit of a backup and it is tough to pass on the Merritt at times um, because you just get a lot of people sitting in the left lane. But at least in this in circumstance on the Taconic, there's no one on the road. And then every here and there, there's a ramp or a car kind of comes up. And if you're not actively passing anyone, just sit in the right lane so that by the time someone does come upon you, you don't have to move. They don't have to move. Uh, and to his argument, uh, he was kind of being the lazy one of where he didn't want to move. And, uh, you know they can go around him. And yeah, I, I don't like that argument. I think that's that's just unequivocally wrong. As much as I've, I've been guilty of that myself, I'll, I'll readily admit that it's the wrong thing. Yeah, we've all, we've all been there. At least that's honest, though. You know, I remember someone telling me back when I was in high school that actually a gentleman named Stephen, <laughs> not this Stephen, though, uh, telling me that he thought because he was going 75, it was fast enough for the left lane. Some people don't think so. Yeah, I, I for one. <laughs> you could be in a Porsche and want to go maybe a little bit faster. Like double that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, So what else about driving etiquette, you know, can you preach about today, Stephen, now that you're already up on the soapbox? Yeah, I mean, the one thing I else I would say is having this large SUV with me in Brooklyn, I thought it would be a bear to park in the city. Uh, and I have been pretty nervous about it. And for maybe like I'm just getting lucky, but I am finding some rather large parking spaces to park in and have been able to find pretty easily uh, alternate side parking where I don't have to move it the next day. So I've lucked out a lot there, although I am parked maybe a 10 minute walk from where I live right now um, to find a spot where I wouldn't have to move it again. But, uh, you know, if I just came upon a spot that was large enough for my car and I saw a small car parked there, I think I would explode. Um, I'd be so furious because uh, it's just not fair, you know? Um, and I've often talked about wanting a Fiat 500 to Barth because I often see spots that are Fiat 500 size spots and, and parking would be a lot easier with that car. But if I were to see a small car in a large spot, then I, I, I would wanna do, I would wanna like throw eggs at their car or something, leave them a note, which, which made me think if I did end up getting a Fiat 500, would I purposefully skip over a rather large normal car size spot in order to find a small spot that is appropriate for my car. That's what I was going to ask you. Let's say that golden spot presents itself right in front of your apartment. 
what would you do? It's it's I would probably park in it, you know, but I would feel very, very guilty about it, honestly. <laughs> I suspect that there are very few folks in Manhattan feeling any remorse over the size of the spot that they're parked in. I think that parking in New York is a it's a dog eat dog world and people are out there fighting for their spot and just trying to get anything and take it, you know? No, absolutely. People people get killed over, you know, parking spots and, you know, whether you pull in directly or do you back in, going back to a Seinfeld reference. <laughs> yeah. You but, couldn't have possibly made it in going in from that right, angle. You weren't going to fit, you know, but in a small <laughs> car, you could, possibly. You could. So you right. could pull directly into a, a parallel parking spot with a small car. But yeah, I mean, uh, until I get to that day and, and face that dilemma for myself, you know, I really don't know. But that was honestly something I never thought of until I saw there's a, a Scion uh, IQ, is it, um, that often parks on my block. And, and that was what triggered it. I saw it in a rather large spot. And usually I honestly see him. He stuffs his car in like the corner where it's maybe technically not a spot, but he can just about fit. And I think that's very that's very appropriate. I think that works for that. And uh, this was the first time I saw it kind of outside of its bounds and and kind of extending uh, extending its bound like its range and, and impeding on uh, maybe some other people's uh, options to park. So uh, that made me a little upset. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think if I had a smart car, I would often like you know you see the smart cars that can back in into a, a parking spot. And they I can was be thinking about that. When I lived in Paris, I met these these guys at a cafe and they pulled up in front of the cafe and backed their smart car right into a spot that was just the right size for the width of the car. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I chatted with them about it because I thought it was so fantastic. And they said, oh, but we, it's the only way to get around Paris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems to make sense. And, and honestly, I've never seen a smart car here in New York really do that. And I think if I had one, I would do that, certainly. Well, I wonder, is that sort of respected in New York? In Paris, everyone understands parking is, I feel that parking is viewed a little differently in Paris. I remember seeing supercars up on the curbs, you know, like people are, are very brutal with their parking in Paris, whereas we demand, you know, that you're in the lines and all these sort of rules and regulations. So if you had your smart car that fit, you know, in a spot that way, would the police give you a ticket? I bet they would. I don't think they'd give me a ticket. I think they would look at me sideways, like because my car is sideways. Um, but yeah, I don't know. As long as I'm maybe not sticking out too far where I'm blocking the road in any way, I don't see why it would be an issue. The only the only thing I thought of that I think Americans would particularly do is if you do that, the car that's parked behind you and in front of you would squeeze you in and then you can't get into your doors. <laughs> <laughs> you better hope that they have the comfort window option right. on the on the key fob so you can drop the windows and and scoot in that way. That would be hilarious, but I, I would wouldn't leave it past New Yorkers to fuck you over like that. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd have to leave a note on the on the windows. So maybe that's the reason why I don't see smart cars doing that. But uh yeah, I mean, there's a lot of etiquette, soft etiquette to consider. Some some is true etiquette. You know, my coworker is trying to say it's imaginary rules to, you know, cruise in the right lane and pass in the left, even though I, I think it's a... Oh, it's, a it's a written rule. In fact, yeah. it's even on signage on some highways. So 
imaginary in my ass. Right. <laughs> right. They don't have any signs about that in the whole of Staten Island. Woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> well, before I get too angry on this topic, we better we better go off of it. And uh, and actually, I think we better wrap up for tonight because I have uh, I have some business to attend to. But we actually have a lot of things to talk about with you next time. Um, there have been a bunch of really cool car releases and they all seem to be in green. Yeah, you know, I think I started a trend, Stephen. They must all be looking at my venture in green 718, right? I think the trend has been going on for a while now. <laughs> I think you're at the end of the bandwagon. Yeah, I might be at the tail, but green has always been my favorite color. So green is good, and, and we have some cool cars to talk about next time from Aston Martin, Caterham, uh, and Koenigsegg. Uh, I'm, I'm actually interested to read a little bit more about this engine on the Koenigsegg. It seems like maybe some kind of revelation, so we'll talk more on that next time. And uh, and I think next time we speak, we'll actually finally be together and we'll get to do that bit on Porsches that we uh, that we've been wanting to uh, wanting to share with you guys. So looking forward to uh, to talk more soon. And uh, thank you, Stephen. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Nice catching up with you again. And uh, yeah, look forward to chatting about all the new stuff that's coming out. All right, guys, signing off for tonight. See you soon. See ya.